subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me, as always, my lovely co-host and editor. Hello, I am Rex. And we are back at it again for the third week of Kaiju Month. Woohoo! So here we are once again, but before we jump into our main topics, we've got some housekeeping to do, our general discourse. So with that, we're going to go right into this, as this has been a little different than normal when it comes to our recording schedule. (laughs) Um, is is so this now our latest? Or? This this will end up being our latest because Godzilla oh, fifty four was it ended at eight thirty nine o'clock. This one's going to end at like eleven. Oh boy! <laughs> so it, it I don't need sleep. Who needs sleep? I'm soaking wet. I haven't eaten in, in like two days. I'm fine. We're good. You do not sound fine at all. I don't. You Why say you see- haven't eaten. Yeah, you should go I haven't. get a doctor. Do Do you think I should seek help? Yes. Mm. Do you think I should watch some kaiju movies? Obviously. Yeah that that's that's the point of the me. month. That's right. So you know, actually, before before, so speaking of help, Rex, how have you been? Do you need help? Actually, surprisingly. I have had a mostly pleasant week so far, believe nice. it or not. <laughs> any any exciting events happen? Yeah, I uh I went to the on Tuesday, I believe. I went to go see a museum exhibit I'd been meaning to visit for a few months now and it, it was it was not only was it uh quite a quite a just and just awesome experience seeing like some of the biggest dinosaurs ever like Patagotitan and then seeing like some childhood favorites like the Carnotaurus but um also a very unexpected but su- surprisingly pleasant event in my personal life happened as well on that day nice very nice unexpected <laughs> Well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, besides that, have you, have you, I mean, I know you, you've been busy with work and school and whatnot, but yeah. anything else? Uh, I mean, I've just, I've kind of been trying to do stuff for basically every, every day I can, like this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know. Gotcha. I've been out and about, I guess you could say. <laughs> Well, that's good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wish I could say the same, but I'm, I'm. It's been a, it's been a week. It's been a week. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The, so this week there there was a day, there was a day that just so happens to be like a a life like achievement mark in my life. I don't know if it's an achievement, but it, it's definitely like a milestone. And uh, every year when that milestone happens, usually something awful happens. And and once again, 
I was proven correct. So it's it's been a little rough, but you know, I got my short film done. Well, sent that's that in. Yeah, I got that done. Sent it in. Um, by the time this episode goes out, it'll actually be, uh, it'll already have premiered at G Fest. Nice. So that's that's pretty exciting. By by now, as of when you guys are hearing this, we'll find out if it was worth uh submitting and whatnot well it'll be worth submitting either way but we'll see if it's an award-winning short film or not by now so hmm. we'll, we'll see we'll see <laughs> the viewers the viewers know more than us it seems in this case mm, they will yeah because there probably will be a live stream or two that will talk about it by then <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I so I, I finished the short film. I worked on that all week, you know, working every day, getting ready for G-Fest. Right. Um, I, I did have some time to watch some toku. So if oh. you're ready, Rex, we can segue into what tokusatsu we've watched this week. Yeah, sure. So, Rex, go ahead, since you started us off. Ah, well, I, I have a... A surprising and awkward and sad announcement to make, but I have only watched one bit of Tokusatsu this week. Oh, and that's the and that's the movie of this episode. Well, we can't reveal that just yet. But in saying that, not only did I finish the recently released Skull Island anime series, mm-hmm. but I also rewatched Kong Skull Island. Oh nice. Yes. Does it still hold up? Yeah, it's pretty good. Now I believe as of the last recording you hadn't finished Skull Island? Yeah, the show. So do you still have the same criticisms you had last week? Yes, but I will say this those last two episodes do have it ends on a strong it, it ends on a decent note like the second last episode episode seven the one that everyone says is good is in fact quite a good episode proves that once again this series proves that kong is the best recurring character in the monster verse he might be the only good recurring character in the monster verse um <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think of one that would be like like uh, sarazawa uh, I guess. I mean, he. I guess he's... Up until he changes his mind on nuclear weapons. <laughs> so actually, um, yeah, because I feel like Kong and, and GVK is the strongest thing of that movie. Yeah. It's just the beard clippings and, and all the awful stuff. I can get well, past the beard clippings. Yeah, but I still have to complain it. There's our bingo thing for that. So we're officially, we've officially started the episode. Damn. Is that is that our new marker for, how, for when the episode's truly started? Yeah, it's whenever we bring up that or one other thing that I'm not going to bring up because then it would just like by default come up. So. Well, speaking of one thing that by default comes up, I actually forgot to mention last week that I had also... Uh, started a Netflix show called The Days, which is a Japanese drama starring Koji Yakusho, uh, sort of themed around 
the 2011 Fukushima, the power plant, um, the tsunami and how it affected the power plant, all that sort of deal, the aftermath, oh, et cetera. That's cool. And, and I bring that up because one of the directors of that show was Hideo Nagata. Ah. <laughs> You know, I, did you? I don't I, know if I've watched any of his episodes yet because I only, I've so far only seen like one or two so far. Because mm-hmm. I, because I started it the same day I started watching Ash vs Evil Dead. <laughs> ah. Speaking of Nagata, Nagata, mm. Nagata, yes. Did you see what I? I'm pretty sure I sent you the oh, link. Did you oh, see that oh, Ring is actually coming to 4K? Yes, I did. Yeah. Actually. So I don't think you said anything, but are you going to pick not. that up? <sighs> I don't know, honestly. Ironically enough, I have my ring box set. Um, yeah, my ring collection sitting right next to me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's the 4K transfer on the Blu-ray as well, but it's yes, it's, it's in I Blu-ray. So. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I might pick it up, but solely for the booklet. Mm. oh it does it is it like an all-new booklet or so do you have the limited edition ring box no, set? no okay I don't. so i think it's the excerpts from that okay or it's a well actually so ring ring is the only one to be released like by itself yeah and then it was released in the box set so i think what it is it's a reissue of the original solo one but the booklet from that one was repurposed into the booklet for all the box set. Okay. So it's it's a reprint of that of those essays from the booklet in that initial release. Okay. Which is why I would buy it. And I'm thinking about getting the original poster art version just so it's different. Mm-hmm. Also, can I just say I hate the fact it's marketed as Ringu still? Hey, uh, the, hey! The UK release will probably just be Ring, <laughs> probably. But that I when I saw that I was kind of excited. Granted, that's so Arrow. That's nothing new for Arrow because they said that they would be re-releasing all of their 4K transfers as 4Ks because oh. they. So that was the plan. They recent. They only have recently started doing 4Ks. So mm. that so, all started. So Gamera Trilogy? Probably not. Oh. That's, well, I don't know. Katakawa did approve the Ring 4K release. Maybe in the future. Um, I think they said it wasn't in the cards at the moment. Oh. Um, Back when people were asking left and right about that. Um, yeah. I think I mean, they that could was do like three, four years ago now. Yeah, which is really weird. It's really weird to think that was like that long ago. I know, right? <laughs> I actually now I'm legitimately curious how expensive that box set has become. Hmm. Because you know, I, like that... two to three times what I paid for it. <laughs> yeah, because you and I both paid retail, did we not? I yeah, did. I probably ha- I probably paid like a little bit more for shipping, but even then, I got I got off pretty good with the shipping, all things considered. Um, 
So this week, I've actually got you beat, Rex, on both the Giant Monster and Tokusatsu front, it seems like, because I watched the two-part short film, Robo Geisha Cop. They were two promotional short films that uh, were attached to Robo Geisha. Mm -hmm. So I watched those. You know, they were pretty all right for a short film. And then I finally watched Thailand's uh, new Giant Monster movie. The lake. That's right. I saw you post about that. <laughs> that was that was my birthday film. I'm so um, sorry I guess, for you. <laughs> I guess I should establish that I I did turn a year older. That was the I I hate my birthday. Happy but, birthday! Oh oh yeah. Oh, thanks thanks man. I hate it. It's always a bad day. Um, but that well, was the well, film I decided to watch next year. So you never That's what know. We always say that's what I say every year. <laughs> There's always next year. Uh, yeah. so I watched the lake. Mm-hmm. I don't. So I the first like third of the movie, I was like, man. This feels like it was taken straight out of Bong Juho's book. Right. Um, I was like, damn, this this is exactly what the host like would be if it was this story. Mm-hmm. So you know, I I and that's not a bad thing. I could just tell it was influence. It didn't rip it off. I I just could feel the influence. Mm-hmm. I like the effects. There's one sequence that's entirely CGI that has a frame rate issue. That I was like, hmm, that's a little bad. But the I effects feel like I are... remember this, but I don't but I don't remember it too well. <laughs> the effects are pretty good. Mm-hmm. I like the moody the mood feeling, but it definitely has the King of the Monsters issue where there's too many characters all over the place that I don't have enough development to care for. I, I and it feels I like if it's this film, but I'm pretty sure I got confused on, on some of the character relations in the lake. If I remember right, <laughs> it, it's a little confusing. There's definitely at one point where I was like, are they brother and sister? Or are they husband? Yeah, and wife? I feel I, I'm pretty sure it was something like that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it has some issues and I feel like it only got interesting towards the end, and it set up a lot only for it to not be elaborated on, and it was elaborated on in the extended ending, which is a bonus feature on the Blu-ray. What? There's an extended 10-minute ending. What? Yes. And no one told me about this? Oh. Well, I just did. <laughs> what? Yeah, so the ending that's in like three minutes is actually a twelve-minute sequence with cut effects footage. Bro, I I hated the ending because it was it ended so abruptly and confusingly. I was so confused by like it, that last scene of the movie. Yeah, so it explains that a little bit, but it also still has a lot of questions. I still don't understand what they were trying to get at. And mm-hmm. I don't understand why they didn't just do the extended ending. And so to that point, I, I, I want to bring this up. I don't understand why we have deleted scenes 
and extended stuff really as like prevalent anymore because that used to be because film reels had to like meet requirements. Right. Now it's all digital data to my understanding. Mm-hmm. So like, why are we needing like the ending for the lake should have been the extended ending. The fact that it wasn't, I don't understand. I mean, theaters wise, I mean, theater come. I think theater companies tend to like movies, at least in the past. I know big studios liked movies to be like two hours or under. They didn't really like it to be much longer. Well, even with the extended... Obviously, that's become more lenient nowadays, but, you know. Right, but The Lake isn't... It's not... I mean, it's, it's an, an hour, hour and 40, 40, but like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the Thai film industry is like. Maybe... Maybe an hour and fifty movie would be out of the norm. Um, well, hmm. I don't. I, I I should look into that because I know, like in uh, India. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, there's a voice crack there. In India, their films actually average like two and like a half, two and a half hours. hours to three hours. Yes, <laughs> yeah. In India, their films are very long. Um, I'm pretty sure the world's but longest very, film. Very entertaining. Yeah. I still need to see RRR. I really want to see that. Should. It's it's so good. I mean, Natu Natu is a jam. It is. Most of the songs in that movie are a bop. <laughs> and the and the choreography is oh amazing. My god. Oh my god. You actually you you need to watch that movie. Like you actually need to watch that movie. I'm I need to. You're right. Especially considering on my way to these recordings, nine times out of ten, I record you not to, not to, yep, yep. Or I play it, yeah. Yeah, I'm just chilling at a stoplight, blasting not to, not to, <laughs> and the person next to me at like three in the morning's like, what? Is that, what is he playing? I don't Why I don't... is that white boy playing Indian music? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but am I wrong? No. <laughs> Back to the lake, though. Yeah, I don't. I don't think people hate. I, I feel like people hate on that movie a little too much. To be honest, I feel See, like it's it's not as bad as everybody tried to say it was. I I loved the opening scene. I thought that scene was absolutely fantastic. I was I was cool with like the first twenty minutes or so. And then, like, the small monster shows up, and I'm like, okay, this is going in a bit of a different direction. The editing here is a bit funky, but I'm willing to see where this goes. And then, and then, like, just later on, the film kind of got boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, the, I can the see that. The whole Jurassic Park sequence goes on for way too long. See, I didn't, I mean, I get where people felt like it was Jurassic Park, but I also was like, it doesn't, like... It's it's basically Jurassic Park. <sighs> it's like the whole T-Rex uh, encounter. And it Except does take it's up... it's done worse. <laughs> it does take up, like, 25 minutes of this movie. It takes up way too long. It, it, it just ends up being boring, that sequence, by the end of it. And I mean, to be fair, really nothing is achieved in that that scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, there's there's issues, and eventually we will cover that movie. Um, 
Maybe eventually we'll do a Thai, uh, Thailand month because we have three movies we could cover. Garuda, <laughs> The Lake, and The Beast Below. Um, so maybe we, maybe another one will come out and we'll be able to do a Thailand <laughs> month. That'd be pretty maybe. cool. Um, but besides that, so I watched the Robo Geisha short films. I watched the lake. I, I mean, if you want to count my short film, I watched it. <laughs> oh, I watched that too. Oh, how was it, Rex? It was, it was pretty cool, you know. It, there was just one part I didn't like. It, it was there was this credit to a guy. His name was uh, Elijah Thomas. He's kind oh. of an a hole. Yeah, he sounds like one. He sounds like he's entitled and. And only like stuff that he would do. But I guess we'll see if anybody else likes it at the mm. competition that will be already done and over with by the time this episode goes live. Yes. But no, I'm I'm happy you enjoyed it. We we talked about it the other day and, and you said that you enjoyed it and thought it was pretty neat, so um I, I'm happy to know that you, you enjoyed it. Uh I I actually tried and I will say this. There's uh so by the time this episode comes out it won't be out for the public but I do plan on releasing it I guess this will be the first time I bring it up but it will be going on the my YouTube channel uh the first week of August mm-hmm. uh there's a, the the second so I would say the film's kind of two parts mm-hmm. I'd say I feel like there's a very obvious like transition from the first part to the second part yeah. Um, in the second part, I did this audio thing where I created uh, some tension. Mm-hmm. And when I was editing and, and watching the final product, I was actually getting stressed watching that sequence because of that audio cue. <laughs> um, not because of like, oh, God, I got to do this. But it was just the way I set it up was giving me that emotion. And I was like, man this is actually pretty effective. Like I, I'm actually feeling something from watching this and I'm the one making it. <laughs> Fancy that. So I don't know, maybe, maybe once it goes, comes out, I might do something like to, to talk about how I made it because I, I, everything in it's actually a hundred percent original. Um, everything mm-hmm. I made. So mm-hmm. I'm, I feel pretty proud of, of, of that. So, we're not going to carry too much farther on that because I feel like that's just seamless, seamless self self promotion. Yes, I'm not Nathan Marchand of the Monster Island Film Law Podcast. And no, then I not. watched a movie. And there was another movie. Oh. Rex, it's been a long like 24 hours. I've been awake for almost 24 hours. Yeah. Um. Oh, what was the movie I watched? God. I always do this. You know, I, I I was doing some editing just before getting on here, and I, I noticed that I had told you in the Gap episode to write down your movie in your notes. So did you? We're supposed to have notes for this? Yes. Oh, I crap. you said you had how many pages? Seven. Exactly. Does the title appear anywhere in those notes? Maybe. Can you read the title? Rex, I forgot the title, so this is what I put. That's what I put. 
Rex. <sighs> Sorry, I know I'm 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 I know I'm a disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> Please forgive me. <sighs> it's not funny. I know. I know. I, I I disappoint you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, dear listeners, as you know, today we are covering Gamera the Giant Monster. Daikaiju oh! Gamera. We're, we are finally covering that movie? Yeah. Man. So. It's crazy. It's almost like we were meant to cover this like a year or so ago. So actually, so fun fact about the behind the scenes work of Kaiju Conversation, a podcast that clearly has a lot of behind the scenes work. Actually, yes. more than you would think, actually. Um, so back in August of 2022, we were supposed to cover Gamera the Giant Monster, but because of, what was it? Was it, was it work-related? I'm trying to remember what it was. I want to say, I, I know I was the one that was like, I can't do it. Um, I want to say it was work-related. I want to say that I just was so busy doing stuff that like i couldn't do it so we ended up not recording something like that i wouldn't i don't remember <laughs> yeah i just remember that it i just ended... remember that i rewatched it and speaking of last year um so because of of my birthday um Instagram sent me a notification on all of my accounts. They were like, it's your birthday. Look at that. Look at the last year. So Rex, actually, so this is coming out the third week of July. Yeah. Which is going to end up being July 19th. So six days ago, we actually released... Kaiju Conversation, Episode 40, Welcome Back, Kaiju. Oh, damn. So it's been a year since we were regular. <laughs> so that I saw that on, on the Instagram. I was like, man, that's actually really cool. I didn't realize that it's been a year. In, in a year, we and what's funny is we are one episode away from hitting 30 since then. So since July of last year, we've we will produce thirty episodes. That's crazy. <laughs> We're insane. We are. That's so. There's twelve months in a year. So that would mean we produce two episodes per month, plus an extra one for six of those months. I think. Yeah. yeah. So two point five. Two point five per month. Fancy That's a that. lot of talking. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when our average is like an hour and 35 minutes. Oh, nowadays it's a bit more than an hour and 35 minutes of talking. If we just do 2023, 20, our average is probably two hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> I mean, when you consider if you include Shin Ultraman and Shin Kamen Rider, they kind of boost it up a little. That's because we have a lot to say. And we're insane. But we have a lot to say. And we're insane. Sure. We'll go with that. Because it's true. I won't argue. So, with that, if you want to, Rex, do you want to start us off with 
with uh, one year later, essentially, and talk about do you do you want to do what we typically do here, which is give some background story? Okay, yeah, let's do that. So, I so I guess we can do this on the cast. Do you want to talk about the movie that came prior to this? Or do you want to do like eventually an episode solely based on ta- talking about that subject? Um, I said we, we do a little. I guess we could cover it more in depth in like a future. I'm a thinking future when one. we when we cover the movie that's actually about the making of that one. Yeah. So. Do you want to give the honors about giving us a brief rundown of Giant Horde Beast Nezera? Alrighty. So, for those who are unfamiliar um, with Gamera and Nezera, Nezera was a Dye production set for 1964, sort of going for the the giant monster craze at the time that... uh, Kanekawa producer uh, Masaichi Nagata was very intent on, you know, cashing in on, especially with the success of Godzilla at that time. Mm-hmm. Thus, he ordered the production of... It was either him or the head of planning at Dai, I don't remember the name of, who ordered the production of Giant Horde Beast Nezuda which was to be directed by Mitsuo Murayama. Um, it had a completed script and had started filming, but due to issues with the fact that... The fact that so Nezera was a film about giant rat monsters, and thus uh, the, uh, the filmmakers decided, let's use real rats on set. This created a fair few health problems, and thus the, uh, I believe it was the public health department, Mm -hmm. ended up shutting down the film's production. Right. And before the film was released, before production shut down, Daae hired somebody to edit a trailer to start uh, marketing the film. Mm -hmm. And they hired somebody who was very fresh to the world of filmmaking, um, mm-hmm. had done some assistant directing and some acting. Mm-hmm. Um, his, and that would be... I mean, his father was an, was an actor beforehand. Right. His father was an actor, and he They'd was... grown up around the industry, essentially. Right. And his name was Noriaki Uwasa. Yes. He edited the trailer for the film. Eventually, the film would be shut down, and and that trailer would eventually get thrown into a closet until it was destroyed decades later. Mm -hmm. Sadly. But director Yuasa then was attached to do a film called If You're Happy and You Know It, Mm -hmm. which didn't do too well. It was a comedy musical, if I remember correctly, and it didn't do too well. Uh, It was was received very poorly. Mm Mm-hmm. And so everybody was basically saying that he was basically his his career was over. Um, mm-hmm. He would never live up to the stardom that his father did. Kind of a depressing story. Yeah. But Noriaki Uasa didn't give up. 
And that's where we enter the story of Gamada. The giant monster. So before Yuasa was brought on, the president of Daie, yes, Edie, uh, Nagata. Mm-hmm, was on a trip back from the United States after a film festival, and while on the plane ride home, he looked out into the clouds and thought he saw a giant turtle flying. This birthed the idea of creating a giant flying turtle movie. This was allegedly. partially allegedly because. The thing with that story is, not only is that suspiciously similar to a to the story of how Tomiyuki Tanaka um, came up with the idea for uh, that would later evolve into Godzilla, but also there's a fair few other um, diff- there's a fair few other different rumored origins of where the giant flying turtle idea came from. Right, there's even one where the president's son would go to a strip club, and this... It was the chief of Dai's planning, I believe, for that. Okay. Uh, who, his son knew this girl that apparently was... Correct me if I'm wrong, but was sexually harassed by a turtle at a well in the <sighs> city. I read something. I, I remember reading something about a perverted turtle. Yes, but I a think perverted that was from turtle. A TV show. I want to say it was from a sixties, like a sixty-two TV show. I could be wrong. Um, there was another I'd heard where uh, where Masaichi Nagata had basically stolen the idea. Yes, from Tomio Nagisu. Whom had shown a demo reel for like a stop mon a stop motion monster series, and in that demo reel he had a giant flying turtle, right? That ejects fire from his uh, holes and flew in the sky. And Tomio Sagisu, uh, father of Shiro Sagisu, composer of Evangelion, Shin Godzilla, and Shin Ultraman, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, founder of p productions uh that's how he's relevant he was the one who developed space giant specter man uh lion maru tiger uh tiger mask and handful of other tokusatsu television shows um which fun fact shiro sagisu actually now owns the company so shiro sagisu i had to do this research um a while back, somebody was like, who owns the rights to Spectre-Man? So P Productions uh, ended up in control of his son. So the composer of Shin Godzilla owns Spectre-Man and a handful of other tokusatsu titles. Oh my god. Oh my god, I think you're right. Oh my god. Right. <laughs> so there's what? the Shin Ultraman connection. So there's the what? next bingo. I just blew your mind. No one told me about this before. But no, I and I uh, uh, so one of the uh I think it was the screenwriter for the film, he denied the claim that it was stolen, stating mm-hmm. that it was nothing alike. Um he's the one that ended up creating the whole uh chief chief son uh Geisha perverted turtle story. Mm. Personally, I'm I'm 
to believe that Daae's president, Nagata, definitely on the plane ride home, definitely was trying to think of how to create a giant monster movie because Daae wanted to get some of that money. Right. Um, Daae was not happy the, with the fact that Toho was dominating that. Um, Dai had previously done a few other tokusatsu kaiju adjacent films, such as Buddha, The Great right. Wall, Demon of Mount O, The God, and The God Whale. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were all historical pieces. So they really wanted to jump into the kaiju ega boom, especially with uh, Segisu's P Productions like starting to make the rounds. Um, this film ended up coming out November 27th of 1965. So this mm-hmm. was right before Ultra Q was airing. So this was right before the big kaiju boom. And I think Dae was wanting to get into that before it was too late, which mm-hmm. is what ended up happening for Nikatsu and Shochiku. They just ended mm-hmm. up too too late to the the game. Right. So I, I'm in agreement with you. I feel like it it definitely was probably stolen. Um, yeah, I I don't think we'll ever I don't think we'll ever know the full true story, right? Unless it. that that demo reel ever came out. Yeah, yeah, but let's be honest, whether or not it is real, it probably doesn't exist anymore. Right, and that's the unfortunate lost part. Media. In F to lost media, and the the. Another unfortunate thing is director Yuasa was not brought in yet, so he was asked about it in an interview, and Yuasa ended up basically saying, "I don't know if it was. I, I am. I. 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 I wasn't informed. Nobody told me." Mm-hmm. Um. So Yuasa was very much out of the loop when it comes to the development of the film prior to filming. Yeah. Which is almost ironic when you'd kind of consider, you know, in retrospect, Gamera is sort of like his baby, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, exactly. It's really weird. Between him and the screenwriter, Nissan Takahashi, it seems like those two together is what created Gamera, really. Right. So... I, I do know that some of Dae's uh, people ended up trying to say that they made the film to prevent Toho from getting rich with Godzilla because mm-hmm. everybody knew Godzilla was a moneymaker. Yeah. And I think that de- because at this point, development on Ultra Q had already begun mm-hmm. and Dae was almost going to contact Subaraya to, to pr- help produce Gamera. Yeah. So they knew that eventually the the change of tides for for Godzilla and and Kaiju would be for kids. I mean, look at Ebra, Horror of the Deep, and and whatnot. Even mm-hmm. Invasion of Astro Monster was was a great example of it really changing for kids. Yeah, I mean the whole dance. <laughs> right. So you know, I I think uh, specifically for Noriaki Uwasa. Um, him and uh, uh, Nissan Takahashi, both of them wanted the film to be a little more kid oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, and a part of that I mean, was actually Yuasa, I believe, loved kids, so like you know he did. And he so he ended up filming at a children's orphanage, 
um, for about a week. And what seeing all the kids depressed really like moved him to want to give them something to be like, hey, yeah. you've got this. Um, and mean, he it said, could also be because he was just. I I've read that he was kind of disenchanted with like the adults around him. At, at least in the film industry, he had been kind of disenchanted. Right, and and that's mostly so. Director Yuasa was the, f- I think, technically the first uh, post World War II director to touch a kaiju film. Huh. Um, specifically kaiju. Because before that, you had Honda, Motoroshi Oda. Um, I don't remember who directed The Three Treasures. Uh, 1965. Yeah, and, and Toei, no, no other company had really started that. So yeah, Yuasa was the first uh, pre-World War II, uh, like height of World War II uh, director. Because Yuasa was in his 20s, I want to say, when he directed Gamera. Mm. Uh, he would have been about 30-ish. Because he was born in 33. Okay, so 33, 43, 53. Okay, yeah, so he was about 30. So he was a teenager when early teenage years for, for World War Two. Okay. Um, actually he would have been 12 when it ended. So yeah, yeah I mean, right. so you also really didn't have an idea of, of world war two, mm-hmm. at least not, not to how the adults viewed it. He, he never had wartime experience or anything. Yeah. So for a lot of people, I think they automatically discredit and ignore Yuasa for that reason. Mm-hmm. But because of all of the people, you know, I mean, he was in the film industry because of his family. So he was around a lot of adults. And they were all very serious and he didn't understand and he didn't understand the the impact of World War Two. So he never really grew up. Hmm. I, I kind of feel like he had a similar mentality to like Ray Harryhausen and uh, Ray Bradbury, who they they said that they would grow old, but they would never grow up. They always had that childlike like mentality. And I think Yuasa especially had that. Right. So, you know, like you said, he had a connection to kids, but he also wanted a, uh, in an interview, he said that he wanted kids to have something to be like, well, I may not have my parents, but I have Gamera. And Yuasa said that Western audiences probably won't understand that mentality. They'll probably say that's wrong. Um, <laughs> but he said that it, it's it's just in Western culture or Eastern culture, and this was a very interesting thing he want, he highlighted. In Eastern culture, um, when you watch Godzilla and Gamera and whatnot. The kaiju are not animals. They're not meant to be animals, per se. Mm-hmm. Kaiju are meant to be humanistic. They're given humanistic traits. When Gamera does something that a human would do, that's not weird for Eastern cultures. Because right. in Eastern cultures, animals do things that humans do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at yokai, if you look at legends... 
there's animals that do things that would be done by a human. Right. Yeah. I, he specifically highlighted a story. I'm, I don't remember what story he highlighted. Um, but he highlighted how the dog in the story was given human emotions. Um, and because of that, like that, that was an example of how in Eastern culture, animals have feelings and they are humanized. Yeah. Whereas in Western culture, and he specifically pointed out King Kong, King Kong does not feel like you're watching a humanized animal. It feels like you're watching a wild animal. And so you can't relate and you can't really like feel for the creature as much as, as you would an Eastern monster, mm-hmm. which I think is something that some of the Western Kaiju inspired films have, have kind of been missing is that. And I think it's a really good point. Like in, in, Japan, when you look at Shinto and and whatnot, there is a level of I don't I don't know how you would explain it, but everything has meaning. Everything has importance, hmm. which is interesting. Um, I I thought it was very interesting how kami work, how like there's a kami for water, wind. Plants, everything has kami. I thought that was a really interesting thing for Shinto uh, beliefs. I mean, look at yokai. That's another thing. Um, Yuasa actually incorrectly cited a play, a kabuki play called Kurama Tengu as an inspiration. Um, It's a play about an orphan child who learns about martial arts following the death of his entire family. And he learns martial arts to get revenge on those who killed him. Mm-hmm. And he gets help by the yokai Tengu. But at the time, Tengu... So Tengu are basically winged goblins? Mm-hmm. That's a very basic explanation for what they are. Um, they're, they're more than that, but that's that's basically how they're shown. Right. At the time, Tengu were known for creating war and chaos in Shinto. Um, But in the play, the Tengu was associated with a very popular warrior, Minamoto no Yoshitsune, Mm -hmm. Yoshitsune, um, who was a warrior in... uh, the early years of Japan who took and won a lot of battles. Um, and he was somebody who his entire family, but his mother died in, in battle. And what was interesting about the play was in the play. Anytime the boy would whistle, the Tengu would come to his rescue. So that's, that was what you also was thinking about when he cited it. But he later then said, well, I mean, that that technically does work, but that's not what I was referring. That was not something I was influenced by, Um, Mm -hmm. because in the later Gamera films, all the kids have to do is be like, Gamera, Gamera, help us, Gamera, Gamera. And Gamera would come to the rescue. 
Um, then he later corrected that and cited the 1958 film uh, Murasaki Zuken, uh, translated to The Purple Hooded Man, which was mm-hmm. influenced by uh, Western uh, products like Zorro or The Lone Ranger, an outlaw who came to help the innocent, um, who you would just have to call for and they would be there. And when I when I heard that, I was like, wait a minute. Because when you think about it, that happens a lot in Japanese tokusatsu. Think about like, I, I know Kamen Rider, mm-hmm. but that happens a lot where the hero magically appears when they're, when help is needed. <laughs> um, another example of this I immediately thought of was in Terror of Mechagodzilla. There's the two kids that like go to look at Mechagodzilla and as Mechagodzilla is about to uh, Godzilla. Godzilla and he appears. And I was like, wait a minute. That is one of those humanistic traits. They're meant to be like Zoro or the Lone Ranger or that hero that's there to fight for the innocent. And I was like, that's actually really cool. <laughs> I probably went down a, a rabbit hole there that you didn't expect. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that I, I just thought that was really interesting. And mm-hmm. you don't really see that in this film, but following this film, that becomes a trope. And right. it, it eventually bled into, like I said, uh, kind of like the Toei Tokusatsu heroes and in the Godzilla franchise would eventually have that where the kids would scream for Godzilla and eventually he would appear. Right. Um, but as mentioned, Noriaki Yuasa came on after the film began development he came on even after the name was finally decided. He came on after Gamera was given his name. Mm-hmm. Um, the original title that uh, Nissan Takahashi gave, which he wrote the story for this in about two hours. Um, yeah. The original title was Fire Eating Turtle Attacks Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And it was meant to be... You know, like I said, a uh, cash in on the Godzilla franchise. Um, so they they really they definitely rushed this film from production, like development from the beginning, and I definitely think it shows later on when we mm. actually talk about the movie. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> how did you did you know that the design for Gamera was even done before the script was? I mean, I mean, if they, it is a turtle monster, so true. <laughs> um, but Akira Inoue produced like around like was it what was it like five hundred pre-production sketches for the film? Yeah, it was five hundred, and they went with the fifteenth. And the fifteenth and the first were very similar. It's just one was standing, one was sitting. Right. So yeah, and they had uh, Takashi Yagi, correct? Do the do the suit for this? Who worked with Toho on a great many of Toho's classic kaiju suits? I feel like I saw his name translated as Masao Yagi, but I don't remember. Which I think one. it was Masao Yagi. Now that you say that, oh right, it's Yagi. But that's right, that's right. Yep, I yep. just remembered. <laughs> but even while so, after the script was done, you know they had the suit. 
they it ended up taking a month to do the storyboards total. I don't yeah. know how long the script took, but I don't think it was very long. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure it was only about a maybe a month. If even that. If it, even that. But with that, I feel like we could we could go ahead and slide into this. Alrighty. Let's get started. So I'm gonna throw a few more facts here as I introduce this and then I'm gonna hand it off to you to dive in for us. So Gamera the Giant Monster is a film that Dyke labeled as a Class B movie. That means it has a small budget, it would be black and white, and so it only had about a budget of 80 million yen, which is about $225,000. Mm-hmm. So because of that, this ended up being the last kaiju film to be shot in black and white in the 1960s. Yeah. So this is the end of an era that started with Godzilla 54 and kind of died, really, after after Raids Again in all intents purposes, because Fair enough. there wasn't really much. But they they didn't have a lot of faith in this movie. Noriaki Yuasa, like I said, is was a very fresh director, and so this was given to him because nobody else would take it. Mm-hmm. Um, he also had to learn how to direct the special effects because he was in charge of that as well. So he yeah. ended up learning about things such as like an optical printer. So this was Yuasa's sophomore film. And I think it's an interesting entry into his into his filmography. Um, personally, I haven't watched this movie a lot, and I'm starting to understand why. Ironically, for me, out of the show Gamera films, it's probably the one I've seen the most, but that's kind of because <laughs> I've had to watch it twice for this. <laughs> so the only time I've only really actively chosen to watch this movie, like, once, I think, and that was when I first watched it. Gotcha. Back so it sounds like that. you're the most qualified to walk us through this. So. <laughs> All right, I guess you're just giving me the reins here. Sure. So the film opens, Gamera the Giant Monster, we open with the Dye logo in black and white and all that, and we are shown various airplanes flying flying through the sky. Meanwhile, meanwhile, there's a, a jeep transporting a scientist, his assistant, and a photographer to a to an Eskimo community in the Antarctic, I believe, if I remember right. Yes. Yeah. And so they meet with the chief to learn about ancient legends in the area, specifically one sort of revolving around a a, a giant turtle monster, perhaps even. Um hmm. the chief ends up giving them a tablet a stone tablet with the image of a what appears to be a turtle seemingly in the water but is more accurately foreshadowing for something later in the film. Meanwhile, the planes fly over Antarctica and do they drop bombs or did they get shot at? So... Yeah, so they fly across and then the American military 
intercepts their presence and they shoot they show up shoot one of the planes down it crashes in the ice and releases Gamera with an atomic bomb explosion because that was just casually on the plane. Right. No, and I wanted to bring up that this movie very quickly, like the opening with, yep. the, and this is all within the five first five minutes. First five minutes, we see Gamera. We are we're introduced to the title monster. We're introduced to the side military characters that will be present for the first part of this movie. We are introduced to our three main characters, and we are established two locations, all within the first five minutes. I was like, man, this is very, very quick. Yeah. (laughs) The movie does not take a lot of time to establish stuff. And I mm-hmm. noticed that throughout the film. It's it's very much a let's let's keep this pace going. It's a very fast paced movie, for better or right. for worse. Yeah. And it is a trope to use the atomic bombs in these movies, but this one I was like, man, this is actually kinda lame. Like so the Americans shoot down the mystery planes. And it just so happens to bear an atomic bomb that wakes Gamera up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's cooler than just having the stock footage and the voiceover like that. That trope was definitely overused by this point. But it's Mm -hmm. also like you can tell that Yuasa didn't really have a lot of experience with the bombs because they definitely just threw the bomb out there as a... It was carrying it, it exploded, it's radioactive, and it woke Gamera. You can kind of interpret it as having, as sort of alluding to, like, the Cold War tensions at the time. Mm -hmm. But it's, it, this doesn't really have relevance to very much of the film afterwards, so. Right, and even in the film, it ends with... Uh, the Soviets and the Americans working together. It it, it goes back to Yuasa's very childlike look on the world, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is actually a really refreshing and nice thing to see because it it doesn't, this film does not dive. I mean, and all the Gamera films do this. They don't dive into deep, serious subjects. Not until the Heisei era, at least. Not until the Heisei, right. And that's because Yuasa didn't want to replicate what Godzilla was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Yuasa had a lot of respect and admiration for the Godzilla films and what they were doing. He actually said that he wanted to not do Godzilla out of respect. And you can really see that, especially in this first movie uh, and, and subsequent films. You can really see Yuasa didn't. He understood the tropes and he knew what he could do to get people in seats without following what Toho was doing. I feel like this, I guess I agree, but I feel like the series comes more into its own in the later films rather than this one specifically. I, I agree there. I And I think the, the franchise found its footing way after this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, But we'll get to that as, as we progress. Mm-hmm. But following this, we do have Gamera's first technical rampage, do we not? Yeah. He, uh, not only does he walk through the Antarctic, uh, 
field? What would you call it? <laughs> Landscape? The Arctic ice caps. I think it's an I think it would be ice caps. I guess. I don't know what I don't know what you actually call. Um yeah, and he fu- and he ends up encountering a ship, the Chidori Maru, which is where, you know, the sci- the scientists and had come from. Destroying their ship and killing killing all of the inhabitants. Which is really of- weird because in the f- in the in the scene you see them, they it's really you see cool. them escaping. Yes, there's a really cool shot. It's a wide shot with Gamera destroying the the boat, and they did little animated black like silhouettes. Right. But it, and it, it's like a little like bee that like in the anime cartoons would be like flying around a character's head. So it's not yeah. it's not like amazingly like original. It's but just a small detail. It's a small detail that you don't see in these kaiju movies. And mm-hmm. it's really cool that they utilize that here because it's actually really effective. And I thought it looked really good. Yeah. But it doesn't matter since they all died anyways. Apparently. <laughs> and was it because of the radiation? Uh, I don't think it's really ever stated. <laughs> I, it, I remember it just being stated that they got killed by Gamera and that was about it. Gotcha. I know that. So they do try to make radiation poisoning. Oh, right. Yeah. Because well, they there's like that whole discussion shortly after this scene where the New York, the American reporter interviews the the doctor, Professor Hidaka, I want to say his name was. Yeah. Yes. So an American reporter interviews him about the appearance of Gamera at the area at the Antarctic. And during this conversation, Hidaka talks about how Gamera will have likely died or is dying at the bottom of the ocean due to the radiation poisoning. Right. Which makes sense. And here's why. So Yuasa was 12 when World War II ended. But radiation poisoning became a very relevant topic about nine years later. So he would have been 21. Because in March of 1954, the Castle Bravo testings that were partially the influence for Godzilla 54 occurred. And in Mm -hmm. that, the Lucky Dragon number five uh, crew members of the boat got radiation poisoning. And that became a very big hot topic for a little while. Understandably. <laughs> Understandably. Um, and, and the biggest thing that was said was Japanese people are the only ones to be killed. Public Japanese citizens are the only ones to be killed by atomic bombs, mm-hmm. which is really weird to think about. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that that you can't you can't say no to that. That's 100 percent accurate. I'm sure there were some American soldiers that, I mean, during the uh, Castle Bravo tests, there was a lot of boats um, stationed to be close by for, like, impact. And I'm sure those were irradiated, and I'm sure those individuals got cancer and and unfortunately had issues. Mm -hmm. But 
on public citizens, it was all Japanese. So the international press focused in on that extensively. Right. And Yuasa would have been in his early 20s for that. So for Yuasa to understand radiation poisoning and make that a more prevalent topic than the atomic bomb itself does actually make a lot of sense when you look at the timeline of Yuasa developing as a person and what topics would have been more relevant and he could comprehend better. Right. I'm going full like historian (laughs) here. I'm sorry. No, don't worry. Feel free to keep on going. (laughs) But following this, you know, the world presumes that Gamera has not only been revived, but is now dead at the bottom of the sea. But during all this, there is a sudden rise in UFO sightings. We are, we are even shown an old man spotting a strange UFO flying across, flying across the sky, spinning around it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And at this point, we, we kind of have a very interesting film because, I mean, we, we are introduced to Gamera very early on, but for the next, like, 20 or so minutes, the film is more of a mystery science fiction film than anything else, which which is an interesting right. tonal change, genre change, um, that I think works a little bit. I think it adds a little flavor to the film. Um, we're also, so at this point, the awful American actors that uh, are our military guys that are at whatever base they're at are finally out. Yep. I just want to point out that they are the worst actors ever. Yep. <laughs> My favorite worst part about that is when, so it's, it's the scene where they're like, I want to say they're like, it's a giant turtle. And one of the actors is telling them like a specific element or something that was being used. Yeah, it might have been for the fighter planes. It might have been like what the planes were made out of or no, it was what was jamming. They're like, this is probably what's jamming the radio signals, I think. Mm -hmm. And the actor slips up on the word. He says the first part of the word and then he stutters and finishes the word. And that's the take they used. <laughs> it's like, mm, that's not how yeah. that. That's not how that should work, but it's a very funny moment. Granted, I will know because those were the that's the original audio, too. That's not the Sandy Frank dub that I watched. That's the original audio. So yeah. in the original audio, he slips up and it's like, hmm, pro actors. <laughs> so I was very happy that they were out by this point. Mm. So the flying saucers, as you were saying, Rex. Yeah. So there's flying saucers being seen across Japan. And during all this, the professor his assistant Kyoko and and the photographer Mr. Aoyagi just happened to be in a plane together and this is where we're introduced to the romance element of the film with Aoyagi essentially 
seeing because all of the photographers had because there were multiple photographers on the ship and Al Yagi had just gotten lucky by essentially drawing drawing straws mm-hmm. to be chosen to go with the professor. And so now he believes that Kyoko is his goddess of luck. <laughs> oh god, the flirting is so blunt and awful. Yep. <laughs> and so that's pretty funny though. So in the original script it was originally supposed to follow an engaged couple through it. And that was where this came from. It was it was elements taken from that part of the script that ended up getting cut. Right. But this film follows a similar trope to Gappa, where the love romance doesn't really... I mean, Gappa and X from Outer Space, I guess, both have this, where the love plot doesn't really go very far. X from Outer Space doesn't even establish it's a triangle until, like, the very end, really. <laughs> right. And I'm pretty sure they established that the assistant is his daughter. Am I wrong? Or not Not the mm-hmm. photographer's daughter, but the scientist's daughter, correct? Uh, I no? don't recall that. Okay. They oh, it might have been names. the dub. Because they have it, different it was, last names. It was the dub then. That's what it was. Okay. Because um, Kyoko's last name is like Yama Yamanome Yamamone. I'm I'm butchering it. I know I don't remember what exactly it was. Whereas the professor is Hidaka. Gotcha. Yeah, it was just the dub then. Um, but I I was like, man, this is pretty pretty awful flirting. Like, yep. You're my goddess of luck. That God, that's gonna I'm get a slap. Ready. That's going to get you a slap really quick. Yeah. No, that's going to get you a sexual harassment charge. <laughs> Maybe a, a uh, one of those orders where you can't go within like 100 a feet of them. A restraining order, yeah. Yes. I forgot the word there. Mm. So that begins the weird love plot that happens one other time in this movie. Mm-hmm. And following this, aren't we introduced to our other trio of characters that take up the other portion of the runtime of this movie? Yeah, yeah, our padding characters. So from this point on, we're introduced to Toshio, a young boy, as well as his family. This is starting to sound a a lot like another movie. Being... (laughs) Is there a, is there a grudge here? Is there a death or something here? I mean, Toshio does seem to want to get everyone killed in this movie, including himself. He is crazy. So, yeah. <laughs> Plot so, twist. Maybe. Takashi Shimizu took inspiration from Gamera the Giant Monster for the whole premise of his... Of nah, his... nah, the director of Juon, the final curse and beginning of the end. The inspired decision to make Toshio the villain came from Gamera. Uh, but yeah, no, Toshio is a psychopath. <laughs> so for context, to- Toshio is 100% absolutely obsessed with turtles. His life basically revolves around them, essentially. And due to this, his pe- his his father and his sister essentially force him to get rid of his pet turtle. His pet turtle. 
I cannot speak, named Chibi, or in the subtitles it's called Peewee. He gets rid of said turtle, but during this, but during the sequence, he also encounters Gamera, leading him to make the natural assumption that Gamera is his turtle Chibi, and he's essentially obsessed throughout the rest of the film with telling everyone, "Stop! Gamera's my turtle. Gamera's a friend. Gamera means no harm." Which. Everybody eventually follows that idea. Yeah, it's weird. So it it this film does begin the trope of the kids are right. Mm-hmm. But this film is the most jarring. So Yes, because Gamera is literally the villain. <laughs> a destructive monster. So Gamera's the villain. And Gamera appears after Pee-wee the turtle is let loose. Mm-hmm. Toshio is so obsessed that Toshio goes up into the lighthouse that Gamera is by. Yeah. And while he's in the lighthouse, Gamera just so happens to knock the lighthouse down. And mm-hmm. Toshio is hanging on for dear life, only but for Gamera, Gamera to catch him, yes. Which is such a jarring thing. Yeah. So that is the most characteristic thing Gamera could do out of character in this movie. Mm. Like that follows what he would later do in the Showa era, but is very much not what he would do in this movie. Mm. Yeah, it only makes sense really in the context of all the following films. But like in this one... Why would he save the kid? <laughs> right. He's just, for all intents and purposes, just another evil, destructive monster, essentially. Right. He doesn't even have really the tragic element of, say, Godzilla or Rodan. <laughs> Absolutely. He, he's just a prehistoric beast from Atlantis or Mu. Right, um, yeah. And what's also weird is the lighthouse sequence. So this film, like I said, is shown black and white. And Noriaki Yuasa is a brilliant black and white director, as we talked about heavily with The Snake Girl and The Silver-Haired Witch. Yeah. Um, in this sequence specifically, the, the tone and the mood of the film is very dark and mm-hmm. very, like, horror-esque. There's even yeah. some zoom shots of the camera zooming in, which you don't see very frequently mm-hmm. i mean this uh, is probably the best shot sequence with gamera i would agree um wholeheartedly i would agree i mean i feel like the rest of the film kind of is a bit wishy-washy with how it shoots gamera a lot of the time sometimes it feels sort of almost not quite point and clicky because it feels like there is still some consideration like for the framing but at the same time, not to the level of, say, the Godzilla or, or even Gappa. Right, yes. Because it just, especially in terms of having the monsters seem big, there are too many overhead shots, frankly. Right, too there's ma- a... Too many shots where the, the-, where, the ba- where the area surrounding Gamera is empty as well. Mm-hmm. 
specifically in the Antarctic sequence and near the end of this film. Right. Gamera the giant monster suffers from Gappa did a little bit in Monster X or the X from Outer Space did, which mm-hmm. was having wide open shots of Kaiju standing in Right, but I feel like Gappa was more sparing with it. Yes. Gappa did it less. I think out of these three, Gappa's the best example of that scaling. Yeah. Um, man, we were like, Gappa's not going to be number one, but we're really talking <laughs> up Gappa still. I know. Um, I'm like, I'm legit surprised. <laughs> so, and, and there's, so in most of the sequences with Gamera, the issue is you can see Gamera's full body. Right. There's not a lot of shots where some of Gamera's cut off. Mm-hmm. Um, they do like for some reason to do close-ups of Gamera, like close-up of just his face, mm. um, close-ups of his back, close like they do that a lot, specifically in the opening credits and anytime Gamera's in ingesting fire. I mean, it works for there, I'd say. It, it works, but it's also, it doesn't add any scale, which which I think this film does miss a lot of, besides the lighthouse sequence, really. And a it few does sequences. let you see the flamethrower in Gamera's mouth, though. This is true. Which is also coming out of the back of his neck. <laughs> yeah, and anytime he's eating, you can just see they've reversed the footage. Yeah, but, which I'm fine with. I think it yeah, looks good Yeah, it's fine. But following this scene, the movie starts moving at a faster pace. So up mm-hmm. until this point, the film has solely focused on the saucer. Gamera should be dead and setting up our six characters, mm-hmm. three of which are supposed to just be side characters, three of which are supposed to be our main characters. Yeah. And there's a lot of building up here, and this is within the first 30 minutes. I think it's actually like 26 yeah. But following this, I really and honestly don't think the movie ever ends until it ends. So following this, we basically get one long fight for the rest of the film after Gamera disappears after this sequence. Mm-hmm. So following this, Gamera disappears right yeah he disappears in the military the military and the professor and all them try coming up with a plan to defeat Gamera essentially and then doesn't Gamera appear at a airport yeah I believe it's Haneda airport he appears at he appears there and then doesn't oh, no, he go that's, that's later that's, that's when he attacks the city when he appears in Haneda Okay, so following this, remind me where we go. He kind of, it's like a nuclear power plant area or something where his next attack is. And they like try using uh, the power of electricity to defeat Gamera, but it ends up having basically no impact. So the military just throws all their tanks at him causing a lot of destruction and fire, which Gamera is able to absorb to end up to essentially just become stronger. Right. So Thus they okay. pull back to to uh plan out a new strategy. 
And so from this, so after the lighthouse sequence, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's basically our six main characters intertwine. Mm -hmm. They try to figure out a plan to stop Gamera. Gamera appears, destroys stuff. They go to fight Gamera. It doesn't work. So they, during the fight, because after this, I'm 99, I feel like it doesn't stop. Then they just plan again and go and fight again. Right, basically, yeah. I mean, they get, like, another another scientist, Dr. Morase. They try using free bo- freeze bombs. They use those freeze bombs to help flip Gamera over so they can, uh, because if he can't get up if he's on, <laughs> if he's upside down. Right now, real quick, with Gamera's with Gamera's body and how long his limbs are, I feel like it'd be pretty easy for him to get back up. Right <laughs> now, before we get too far, so they they devise a plan, and the idea essentially is let's throw all we got at him and let's try to defeat him, and it doesn't work. Like you said, he just feeds off of it and gets energy. So, in the middle of the fight, our three main characters um, are like, hang on, we're going to go to a university and ask somebody for help. Yeah. In the middle of the fight. So, then it cuts to them being at the university talking with the scientist. And he's like, well, if heat isn't going to work, maybe freezing will. Mm-hmm. And then we cut back to the the battlefield, and the battle's still going on. Right. And I was like, "How? Wait! So somehow they had enough time to leave the battlefield to a university where we don't know where it's at, get to talk to the doctor to get him to come to the battlefield, and everything's still going on." I was like, "That's." That's a really weird idea. <laughs> and this is why I said like following following our like 26 like up until the 26 minute mark after this the movie really doesn't stop. It 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 quite literally is like just one long battle. It's plan after plan after plan essentially. Yes, it, it gets very formulaic. Koshio mixed in. <laughs> yes. So they bring the professor just so happens that the military are do- creating the absolute zero cannon mm-hmm. missile version pretty much yeah for anybody who doesn't know what that means it's so they're developing missiles that will freeze things but they have 10 minutes to freeze and kill gamma before it wears off so they do that plan they think it's successful. It's not successful. Gamera escapes. Toshio's in the mix. Toshio tries to defend and save Gamera. They devise a new plan to help stop Gamera, and this is where they bring in the United Nations. Mm-hmm. Correct? Uh, I remember them specifically bringing in the UN, but they... They essentially well, find- established the Gamera uh, counter, counter measures agency or something like that, the headquarters for it. And okay. 
And so from here... But during this time, there are a lot of natural disasters essentially occurring around the world as well, which the Professor Hidaka speculates to be as a result of Gamera. Mm -hmm. And so this is where I also wanted to bring up that our two stories feel very disconnected. Like I, 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 I struggle to understand where they intertwined properly. Mm -hmm. It just kind of felt, it felt like at the end of uh, GVK where Madison and Mark and Bernie just also happened to be in the same spot. And all of our main characters just ended up watching Godzilla walk into the ocean. Right. Like, it, but in that, it, they didn't even interact. Right. So it was just really weird to see all of our main, uh, now all six of our main characters intertwine. But up to this point, like following their first connection, I want to, th- so they all occur, reoccur throughout the movie, but doesn't Toshio basically become the only one from that three to really appear going forward in any um, significant role? It's mostly Toshio, but his sister does reappear here and there to go looking for him. But his father just disappears from the movie. Mm-hmm. As fathers do. <laughs> he went to get the milk while Gamera was, was around. Exactly, exactly. There's been a lot of trouble with getting with getting food like fish, so maybe I don't know, maybe the cows are having issues as well. Yeah. So we do get to see what something that Gamer I think is very good about, and that's seeing like the collateral damage. Um we mm-hmm. get a few sequences where the humans that are not our main characters complain about the effects of what has occurred right um well we should also mention perhaps one of the most iconic aspects of Gamera as a character had occurred before this where it is revealed in this film's essentially twist that Gamera can fly oh yes Gamera can fly Gamera is the flying saucer that filled the 22 minutes of this movie before Gamera came back Mm -hmm. And the stone tablet, uh, the the waves on the stone tablet that seemed to be the ocean were actually the clouds. Also, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the stone tablet's basically a plot MacGuffin for only two scenes. It's, it's really only there to foreshadow Gamera flying. That's really about it. And I don't, I feel like uh, the audience, so the thing about Gamera flying is... The flying saucer looks like Gamera's, like, yeah. Shell. So really, it's not it's not really foreshadowing to anybody, because the audience, by the point of the reveal, the audience knows that it's occurring. Mm-hmm. So I don't I I don't understand the, why they even have it. Like it just the the. The stone tablet kind of feels like a plot MacGuffin that doesn't plot MacGuffin. I don't know. I, I kind of like it. But, yeah, it doesn't add too much to the film, really. 
in this, so I feel like the uh, the main goal for this movie was just to get to the kaiju. Definitely, <laughs> the, this it feels like a most of this movie is just in the script. It feels like an excuse for different kaiju action sequences, essentially. Right, and they didn't really have the budget for that either, which is kind of funny. Mm. Um, so at, by this point, I mean they went I, over budget. They did. <laughs> They went over what I understand. They went over budget. They were behind time. Production for the film was actually really rock rocky. Yeah. Um, lots these, of delays as well. Lots of delays. So the the actual special effects director ended up walking out because Yuasa was not working well with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the film did have three months of principal photography and two months of special effects filming. Um, mm. probably at the same time, I would imagine. Most likely. So, it. What's funny is they were actually given more money, which is how we got the airport sequence, uh-huh. which which was Gamera destroying an airport. Um, that sequence was cut. There's actually a lot of cut stuff from this movie as well. Apparently, there's quite a few scenes that were cut or redone. Or like oh. moved around, I guess to streamline the story. But I, I feel like there's almost nothing to really streamline here. The story it feels very streamlined in general. So yes, and so from here, I, I mean, we're introduced to the Plan Z idea, which mm-hmm. is told, which our character, our main doc professor, our main doctor. He says they couldn't do it because it's not developed enough. And so that gives them another reason to fight on an island in the pouring rain. Um, I will say during this sequence, Gamera is pretty scary. They do a pretty good shot, a job at shooting Gamera as this scary creature. Mm-hmm. Um, the black and white works. I will yeah. say that the black and white does work throughout this movie. Oh, yeah. And then we find out that a reporter character has, like, found a way to get onto the island just to be with his the love of his life and the doctor. Yeah, for context, the military were banning him from joining because he was with a the press. Yeah. Um, so he decided to be to be a laborer for the operation. And so while they're fighting Gamera. There's something so every time the military fights, something happens, which ends with them failing their mission. Mm-hmm. Um, with the freezer missiles, it was that they thawed and Gamera could fly um, during the uh, sequence at the power station. Uh, Gamera is energized by the electricity that they try to use against him, which is very Godzilla 54 inspired. Um, mm-hmm. The the missiles and the fire and the heat he draws energy from. So that fails. Um, when's the train sequence? We've got I feel like did we gloss over the train the sequence? The train sequence was. So essentially, like most of the last 20-ish minutes of the film is about the military trying to lure Gamera for Plan Z, essentially. Um, So essentially there is a sequence where they essentially just throw various trains at Gamera 
And during this, Toshio, the mad lad, the, the I feel the like mad, mad lad, lad is giving him too much of a. It sounds like a compliment. So just call him the a mad psychopath. Mad. Yep, that's better. The sociopath that he is decides to hop on one of the trains and go Gamera, Gamera, Gamera. <laughs> Leading to some random worker, uh, I think like the chief or some something like that, just having to go and save him, which nearly gets the two of them killed. And Toshio's like, nope, Gamera's good. You guys stop. You, you guys should stop attacking Gamera. It's very, very evil of you. Gamera's my friend. <laughs> and don't they, so from that sequence, they don't really fight Gamera. Going forward, I don't think. No, they're kind of just luring him mm -hmm. with uh, the flames from the oil tankers. Oh, he's there because the... So earlier on, there's some people that are like, we're going to hide our power sources in a coal mine so he can't find them. But he's oh. drawn to it, and he's, he's eating... He's t drawing that energy... Okay. Gamera gets a lot of power from a lot of different things in this movie, and it's never yeah. brought up ever again after this movie. Yeah. Following this movie, he has just the power of plot convenience. Mm -hmm. Until until the Heisei series, where they actually gave it some lore. Yeah. So, yeah, from here we're we're given basically the build up to Plan Z, which mm -hmm. occurs very quickly and just happens like yeah. it's built up and then it's about a three minute sequence if i remember correctly if even that <laughs> so this movie's an hour and 18 minutes long i believe yeah yeah so the first 30 minutes is basically setting up gamera the flying saucer and our six main characters then we have the five minute seven minute uh lighthouse sequence and from that point on, so about 37 to 40 minutes in, from that point on up until the last, like, eight minutes is just the military trial and erroring and dealing with Toshio and board meetings. And I don't know it, what it is, but while watching this, I kind of realized that this movie feels really small. Hmm. And what I mean by that is, so when you watch the original Godzilla, it does have a personalized story between three people. But you feel like it's on a grander scale. You feel like it is of greater importance than it actually is. Whereas in, in the Gamera, the giant monster, it definitely feels like it's a very localized issue. Right. I mean, the film does make an attempt with like all the natural disasters that are occurring in response to like Gamera's presence. Mm -hmm. But like <laughs> it doesn't really end up adding much to the feeling of anything in the film, really. Right. It's kind of just something you forget after the film's over. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I was really disappointed with that. I, I, there, it's really obvious they didn't know what to do with Gamera. Mm. 
I mean, they just simply haven't figured out who the character is yet at this mm-hmm. point. They're just making a monster movie. Right, and I can't really fault them for that because it was Gamera's yeah, it was first their film. Job. <laughs> um, but it's obvious they wanted to set it up for potential sequels. And I feel like in this film, and I feel like the only reason this is a critique is because of retrospective. I feel like at the time it would have been a different critique, but it feels like they're trying to do classic Gamera and they're also trying to do Godzilla 54 at the same time Mm -hmm. in terms of tone with the monster. Right. Because you have the Gamera tropes, but you also have the dark aspects that are more Godzilla based. Right. Which doesn't. It doesn't gel like having like, as we mentioned earlier, the sequence of that whole horror esque lighthouse sequence end with Toshio being rescued by Gamera is bizarre in the context of this film. Mm -hmm. Which just creates a jarring outlook on the Gamera kaiju in this movie. Right. Is he the hero? Is he the villain? Do we want him to be? Are we supposed to be sympathetic to him? Uh, Are we not? (laughs) Right. And it doesn't explain that. And I I feel like that's the biggest issue is we aren't told how to feel about Gamera. And spontaneously, Toshio is okay with everyone, you know, getting rid of Gamera. Right. (laughs) At the end. So at the end, plan Z is to trap Gamera in a rocket and shoot him off and into space. send him into space. Yeah. Which the X from Outer Space would later take and, and reuse that idea. Which it's an interesting idea. I do like that. I think it's interesting to think that they can't kill a kaiju, so why not relocate it? Um, But to that... Like you said, yeah, Toshio is suddenly okay with it. Mm-hmm. Like it I mean, feels... I get it's better than killing Gamera, but like nonetheless, you know, I feel like it still feels very out of character, mm-hmm. just given how much he wanted to be with Gamera, how much he wanted to protect Gamera. Even if right. Gamera's technically still alive, you know, he's trapped in a rocket. <laughs> Right, being sent into space who, which if he ever gets out, he might not even survive. We don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's this movie. I, I I don't understand what the writing issue is, but this movie suffers from like either they were trying to blend two scripts together and, and it ended up being kind of a jumbled up mess or they were trying to be bigger scale on a lower budget. Like, I don't, I'm, I am trying to understand what they were doing with this movie, but I don't understand. Mm. I don't know. It, it kind of just feels like they didn't really know what to do with this movie. Cause like, I mean, all the Toshio scenes essentially just feel, end up feeling like padding for the most part, frankly. Right. Um, Honestly, after your main cast, your main trio of the Professor Hidaka, 
Aoyagi and Kyoko. Obviously, they're sort of like riding that bandwagon of like your your reporter, your your woman character, and then your scientist that the Toho series was doing. I believe mm-hmm. that was self-admitted from Yuasa himself, I want to say. I could be wrong on that. But even they, there is so little to any of those characters outside of the whole, the weird flirting. <laughs> right. That they just ultimately, that's the only memorable aspect of those characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this movie definitely has the... So, unlike the original Godzilla... I totally understand why I think nobody talks about Gamera the Giant Monster. Like, I, I was looking, I was thinking about it, and, and like, in all honesty, nobody talks about this movie. No. no. Even, <laughs> even though it's the first Gamera movie, nobody, more people talk about Barugan than this film. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because this film does not understand what it is. They don't know what they're doing. Considering the the story was developed in two hours, it's a little obvious. Right, yeah. The... It is interesting to see... it. To me, it's a lot like watching Riwei Kitamura's work before Final Wars. It's interesting to see the where everything came from, like the first concepts of a lot of the style and tone for the future films. But it's also like, this is just an uncooked movie. Yeah. And I was honestly disappointed. I I, so I remember why I don't watch this movie and it's boring. That's why it's a very boring movie. Because yeah. <laughs> Gamera does not do really anything memorable. Everything in Gamera's universe is found in better memorable ways in future films. Right. I mean, I don't know. I in both my prior watches, I didn't actually. I did not mind this film at all. It's. It's definitely, like, the issues with Toshio's character, the jarring, just the jarringness of Gamera, Gamera's character with saving Toshio and all that, you know, the ba- the, the poor love plot, etc. Those were glaringly obvious, but I, I still enjoyed the film. This watch was much harder to sit through. <laughs> yeah. I found myself getting really bored watching this movie. I yeah, I definitely got bored around like the 30 40 minute mark. It wasn't X from outer space boring where I was damn near a tr- I was struggling to stay awake mm-hmm. in the first 30 minutes, but like that that that's a low bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It it's the, it's not as bad as some of the later Gamera films, but you know that's also a very low bar. Right. No, it, I think this just goes to show, I think the height of Showa Gamera was like the next four years following Gamera the Giant Monster. I think Showa Gamera had about a four-year period where it was 
decent I would to argue good. Two. I would argue it was a two, maybe maybe three year period. I need I definitely three. <sighs> I, I I definitely feel like you could three years is is a solid statement. I don't know. I'm not really a fan of Veras. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a discussion for another day when we get yeah. to those films. Who knows? Maybe, maybe I'll have a change of heart. I'll, I'll say this: Veras is definitely where that gamma formula. I feel like has really. Not established itself, but it's just become... It was defined. Yes, yes. It is at its most defined. And so I, so while we, we've been complaining, I will say this. Gamera the Giant Monster was liked by the Daya executives. It saved Yuasa's career. And it was so successful in the box office, the films following this were given the A film treatment. Granted, following Barugan, they would c- cut costs gradually to the point where there was no budget left. <laughs> Quite literally, it, it ended with Gamera having no budget for his final right. Showa film. But the film did good. And it received- I mean, the Gamera franchise is essentially so closely linked to the down, the whole downfall of Dae Studios. It's, it's right. certainly something. <laughs> yeah. Um... The film even received a Godzilla King of the Monsters treatment stateside. Uh, it's It was the only Gamera film to be shown theatrically in the States until Gamera Guardian of the Universe. Right. Um, which only received a limited release. Um, when it was released in the States, it was adapted. It re- removed the American military footage and replaced it with new stuff. And... It was given a new theme song and a dub. Uh, and then even in the mid-80s, uh, after AIP uh, lost the rights to it, it was, well, AIP didn't release it initially, but I'm pretty sure AIP eventually got the rights for it. But once mm. the rights had lapsed, Sandy Frank, who had done some anime dubs and whatnot, acquired the rights and did a new dub for the film for Mystery Science Theater to riff, which is how those Showa Gamera films became popular in pop mm-hmm. culture. There was even a eventual dis, uh, discussion about doing a colorized version in the States for Gamera, but due to fan backlash, that ended up getting cut. Huh. I've never heard about that one, actually. Mm-hmm. Sandy Frank was going to do it, but there was a, so much backlash that it just got uh, canceled. 1988, 1987, somewhere in that time frame. Huh. But no, I, I, I struggle to see where this film was very popular and very well received. Mm. I mean, I guess it's kind of like of the time thing where, you know, these films weren't, you know, you weren't just able to watch them all on a dime, you know. Right. You can just what you can just go to your Blu-ray collection and choose and just choose whatever film you wanted there, you know. Couldn't go on Netflix. Um because, you know, home video just did not exist back then. Mm-hmm. So you had to go when they were out to see to experience it essentially. Right. Um and again it was it was 
you know, Godzilla was popular at the time, so there was very much an audience that was interested in this sort of film at the time, whereas nowadays it's, it's a bit more uh, inconsistent whether or not there's an audience for these types of films. Right. And it might have just simply been because no other company had done this yet. Like, yeah. Dae oh, exactly. was the first. Dae got on the bandwagon before everyone else could in uh, 67, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's... I, I feel like it was just timing for Gamera the Giant Monster. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, following 100% this, hundred percent plays into the success of the franchise, right? <laughs> and then its eventual death, you know. Yeah, and to be honest, it ended up with Gamera only solely like banking on getting a U.S. distribution. That was eventually what it led to getting like these films right. made was that that co-production money, right? But with that, I I don't really have any more really to say about the film. Um, yeah, I was actually a little disappointed. Yeah, I was, I was a bit disappointed too. I, there was a lot more to say about, especially Gappa, I felt. Mm-hmm. There's and... kind of just not much to this film, I'm afraid. There's like little bits of things like, like you can kind of see some of the Cold War tensions at the beginning, the UFO subplot, it's obvious where it's leading, If but, like, it's kind of interesting to have something like that be established. But, yeah, that's it's just too little to these aspects of the film, really. Mm-hmm. And the film just lingers on the same story for too long when it comes right. to the final, the final act. It really honestly felt like there was two parts to this movie, the exposition and then the fights. Yeah. And then it felt like it was over because following Plan Z, it ends. The movie ends. There is nothing left. I mean, yeah, because the characters are very one note. (laughs) Right. They're not the characters in this aren't as bad as the X from outer space, but they do not. I would say they're better written than... Mm. I don't... Would you say they're better written than Gappa? Uh, I don't know. I feel like... The thing with Gappa is that... They're not good, but the ending scene is really funny. Yeah. (laughs) Like, the ending scene... The ending character arc with uh, the main female character in Gappa is so bad that it's really funny. And thus it's actually memorable. Whereas this is like, oh, Kyoko, I guess, takes an interest in Aoyagi. Great. Toshio... Is, wants to become a scientist in the future so he can visit Gamera. Great. That's it. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just flat. Yeah. And that that's it's the biggest how a issue. a lot of this film feels, I guess. Yeah. This this is a very flat film. 
quite honestly, the only the winning aspects for this movie is the black and white cinematography and about three sequences with Gamera. Right. And to be honest, that's really it. I don't think this film really has any other winning aspects. Yeah, I mean, the worth of this film really is comes down to the franchise that it spawned right. rather than it in and of itself. I would say this and is... And the fact that its stock footage would be re- recycled for various camera films following this. Right. So I would say... In that regard. <laughs> I would say that this is the exact opposite of what 54 was. Mm-hmm. Like, Gamera the Giant Monster is a very small-scale film. It doesn't really have a lot of metaphorical as- attributes. It doesn't go anywhere, really. And it's... N- it 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 doesn't waste time on anything really. It just it hits the main it's, points and moves on. Yeah, it's it's a monster movie and not much more than that. Frankly, mm-hmm. it doesn't really try to be much else. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately just leads to it being unremarkable. You know? <laughs> in you know our modern sea of you know we can watch all of the various 60s kaiju films from around this time from Godzilla to Gappa to X from Outer Space you know we Gamera just this first film doesn't offer anything that the competition wouldn't do better Right. And I think there's definitely better examples of Showa, Showa Dae yeah. productions. Um, oh, absolutely. We will talk about those at a later date. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're ready, Rex, um, I don't really have any more info I really want to spout out besides our cast and crew, if you're ready for that. Feel free to start. <laughs> so, as mentioned, this is directed by Noriaki Yuasa, who would also go on to direct Gamera vs. Gaios, Gamera vs. Viras, Gamera vs. Guiron, Gamera vs. Jiger, Gamera vs. Zegra, Gamera Super Monster, The Snake Girl and the Silver-Haired Witch, 22 episodes of Ultraman 80, and episodes of Denjin Zamborgar. He, did the, he was the special effects director for Gamera vs. Barugan, he was the trailer editor for Nezera. He was the assistant director and actor in Warning from Space. This film was produced by Hidemasa Nagata, who also worked on The Invisible Man vs. The Human Fly, Giant Horde Beast Nezera. He also Marumba. directed Cosplay Warrior Cutie Knight, which featured cameos from the Heisei Gamera. Oh, really? Yeah. Those are like no budget like video things that are like only forty mi- forty minutes long that were produced by Dae. <laughs> Interesting. They are I didn't know very, that. very obscure. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh Nagata also would go on to produce Gaios, Viras, Guiron, Jiger, and Zegra. 
Mm-hmm. And I guess you could say he partially produced Super Monster, if you want to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film, as mentioned before, was written by Nissan Takahashi, who also wrote Gamera vs. Barugon, Gaios, Virus, Guiron, Jiger, Zegra, Super Monster, the short Gamera vs. Garsharp, two episodes of Thunder Mask, wrote the mm-hmm. book Gamera vs. Phoenix, and... That was all I had. I also okay. forgot to bring up, um, I, I have a note here under all of this, that the filming for Gamera the Giant Monster, and this might be why the film jumps around a lot. The film wrapped and was released 15 days later. <laughs> what? They wrapped filming after the three months. So my guess is they started filming the effects and principal photography filming the same day. Effects ended two months in. The following month, actual like production ended, and then they had 15 days to edit everything together and get mm-hmm. it over with. <laughs> so this film had a very small post-production schedule, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's why we don't really... I, I bet that's why we kind of skip around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Interesting. As for our cast, we have Eiji Fuka Funakoshi. Funakoshi. Mm-hmm. Funakoshi, yeah. Who played Dr. Himata, who was in Fires Hidaka. on the Plane. Huh? Hidaka. Hidaka. And then he also reappeared in Gamera vs. Guiron. You had Junichiro Yamashita who played Ayoga, Ayogai? Aoyagi. Aoyagi, who was also yes. in Wrath of Daimajin. Michiko mm-hmm. Sugita, who played Nobuyo. She wasn't in any uh, tokusatsu that I could n- really note. Hiromi Hiratachi, who played Hyoko. Again, I couldn't find any tokusatsu credits for her. Yoshihiro Kitahara, who was in Kamen Rider Amazon, Kamen Rider 1971, Kikaida, Gamera vs. Viras, Gamera vs. Gaios, Gamera vs. Barugan, Buddha, and The Invisible Man vs. The Human Fly. Bokuzen Hidari, who was in The Idiot, Ikaru, Seven Samurai, The Lower Depths, The Three Treasures, The Human Vapor, Red Beard, and Yokai Monsters, along with Ghosts. You had June Hamamura, who was on in Fire on the Plains, High and Low, Kaiden Onibi no Huma, which is a uh, Showa J horror film. He was also in a few oh. others. He was also in Kwaidan, Yokai Monsters 100 Monsters, the television show Operation Mystery, which was a Tsuburaya oh, production. Tsuburaya production. Uh, the Oi Phantom which was another Showa uh, horror film. The Vampire Doll, the first of Toho's Vampire uh, Bloodthirsty trilogy. He was in episodes of Return of Ultraman, Degara vs. Goliath, Ultraman Taro, Prophecies Nostradamus, Kamen Rider Amazon, Samurai Reincarnation, Princess from the Moon, and the 1994 film Kappa. 
You had Jotaro Hojo, who is in Return of Daimajin, the Snow Woman, and Gamera versus Barugan. Yoshio uh, Yoshida, who is in The Beauty and the Dragon, a 1955 kaiju dragon movie. I've never heard of it before. It's based off of a kabuki play. Um, So I'm going to actually dive into that a little more because it had a dragon in it. So that might be interesting. Hmm. They also appeared in Yokai Monsters 100 Monsters, Operation Mystery, Gamera vs. Zegra, Godzilla vs. Hedera, and the Submersion of Japan television show from the 70s. Hmm. Koji Fujiyama, who was also in Wolf Guy, Zegra, Virus, Barugan, Return of Daimajin, and the Whale God. And and the female Prisoner Scorpion series. Correct. Munihiko Takada, who was also in Gamera vs. Jiger, Viras, Gaios, and Warning from Space. Osamu Maruyama, who was also in Kamen Rider, The Snake Girl and the Silver-Haired Witch, Buddha, and The Rainbow Man, one of the earliest tokusatsu films out there from 1949. Mm Mm-hmm. Yoshihiro Uchida, who was in Gekko Common 1981, and most recently was in the three Y films, The Great Buddha Arrival and Nezara 1964. Mm-hmm. Kenji he played Toshio for the record. Yes, thank you. Kenji Onba, who was in oh, quite a bit here. He was in Kikaida, Kikaida Zero One, Robot Detective, Ayu Mazer 3. Go Ranger, Jack Q, Message from Space Galactic Wars, Battle Fever J, Denji Man, Space Sheriff Gavin, and a ton of other Sentai and Metal Hero shows. He was in Kamen Rider Zio, Legend of Eight Samurai, and Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2. He was a suit actor, oh. so he played a lot of uh, suit actors in those uh, shows for like the heroes. Interesting. Then I had Yasu, Yasuo... Araki, who was in Ultra Q, Gamera vs. Barugan, Gorath in Battle in Outer Space, and then Shin Minatsu, who was in Gamera vs. Zegra, Gaios, and Barugan. Mm. And there there was a few other people, but I didn't... I, I, of course, you had the Yagi, who worked on uh, the suit, who also worked on a great many of the other Gamera films. Uh, and Godzilla mm-hmm. films. I believe that uh, what's his name? Suit designer for Howell. Um, um, director. Um, 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 Dice, Dice, Dice Sato. Dice Sato. No, 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 no. Uh, director of Brush. Oh, Keizo Murase. Keizo Murase, I believe, worked on the suit as well. Oh. Or he would do later Gamera films. One of the two. Um. I do know also that the suit was about 26 uh, kilos uh, when it comes to how I, I heavy read it was. In the, I read in the Arrow booklet uh, somewhere it says that it was 60 kilos. Really? Because the – so the Yagi uh, – Yagi-san said it was no heavier than 30, but he thought it was about 20 yeah, because I'm looking at the page now. It says, final costume made largely of plaster reinforced with latex weighed over 60 kilograms. The pair of tough guys from Dai's prop department took turns wearing it while the cameras rolled. Huh. 
So it looks like there's a little bit of a difference there. Maybe he's talking about a different suit. Could be. I mean, it's possible they could have used multiple suits for the film. One that may have been heavier than the other. Maybe. Right. Similar to Maybe. Godzilla. So with that, I'm I'm out of facts. Do you got anything mm-hmm. left? Uh, not really. Okay. So I guess we can move on to the last bit here before we wrap things up. Mm-hmm. Um, Rex, where would you rate this? Hmm. Actually, before you do that, I want to know. We've covered two Noriaki Uasa films, both in black and white. Right. What What's your ranking there? Oh, oh. <laughs> that's that's not hard. Camera down, bo- down bottom, uh, snake girl and silver head wedged up top. That I, snake, I concur. That that movie was genuinely such a pleasant surprise for me. I concur. <laughs> okay, now on to the kaiju month ranking. God, well, what's what's at number three? What's lowest of the low? Oh, easily X from Outer Space. That was a very, very, very difficult watch. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, so, that first 30 minutes was a hard slog. Now, At number one. Ooh. Well, you skipped two. Well, you know what's going to be number one when I say number two. Ah. Hmm. It's tough, but I think I found Gappa more entertaining. So Gamera's going to be at your number two? Yeah. So this is going to be an interesting month, I think, because I agree. Mm. I found Gappa to be more... I want to say watchable, but I feel like that's downgrading Gamera the Giant Monster way too much. Yeah, I think Gamera's watchable. I mean, I just, I don't know if it's really all that re-watchable. Yeah. I feel like if you've watched any of the other Gamera films, you kind of lose any care for this film. (laughs) Right. Or even if you're particularly experienced with the genre as a whole. Mm-hmm. If you've seen films like Gappa, X from Outer Space, what does Gamera really offer to separate itself? Right. Apart from the ignoring the rest of the franchise. Right. So actually, you bring that up, and, and I'm curious what you have to say here. So... Mm-hmm. These all came out around the kaiju boom, right? Yeah. Which one of these would you say is the most, like, original for the Japanese kaiju? I mean... I don't know. I feel... I'm going to go with Gappa. I don't know. I mean, the thing with Gappa is that the general concept behind like the whole thing with Gappa, like the mother and father looking for the child kind of already existed in a way with Gorgo, whether Mm -hmm. or not it was intentional. You know, you sort of had that type of Mm -hmm. those types of monster characters in a story already. 
So it wasn't really breaking new ground per se. Right. Um, but I feel like you, so I feel like X from outer space is in all honesty, a reimagining of the Gamera script. I mean, the X from outer space, what makes that movie stand out is its monster design. Right. I, if we're going based off of original Kaiju, I would definitely say X from outer space takes the cake. But in mm-hmm. terms of originality in general, I think X from Outer Space is basically Gamera X, blended. X from Outer Space is just like it is the epitome of what it is. It is the it is the movie that gets this genre mocked. I'd say it is what everyone talks about when mocking it. At least it's it's what everyone pictures when like mocking the genre. Essentially. Mm-hmm. And see, I I don't know if I because so if it's between Gamera and the X from or not the X Gappa, like if we're talking in terms of originality, I feel like Gappa. I, really, I wouldn't say Ivor is particularly original. It's right, just that right. Gappa, the concept has been used less. Uh, yes, and that's why I kind of went with I would go with Gappa because. Neither of them are original. Like out of the three we've covered, none of them have really broke any ground. They just redid what Toho did, but a little different. Right. And so I I I I think calling them original is a little bit of a stretch, but I definitely think we could like if you're ranking them on originality, that has to go to um, I I feel like if we're going off of originality, it has to go to Gappa, right? I mean, the whole story behind Gamera's creation. There are so many stories of it. You know, it strangely seems to the whole Nagata Nagata seeing it in the clouds. That's very similar to Tanaka's story. Um, and then you've got the whole story of Gamera, you know, the flying concept of it as being potentially stolen from a demo reel, you know, mm-hmm. Gamera just seemingly depending on the different stories, it's just not a very original concept, right? <laughs> the most original thing about it is that he, is that he's a flying turtle, right? <laughs> And again, that's where I think the kaiju does bring the originality. I think mm-hmm. for a lot of these films, where the originality comes from is not from the story, but from the kaiju. Right. It, it seems like people were, it, it was easier for people to come up with different crazier kaiju than, and, and I think Subaraya helped create this problem. I guess it'd be a problem. Is it's easier to create crazy kaiju than to create crazy stories. Uh-huh. I feel like part, part of the issue with, with this genre is the focus on the kaiju is so heavy that the original stories have lost their way. I, I mean, look at, look at uh, Godzilla 54. They didn't really... They didn't know entirely what the original design was going to look like until the suit was done. 
pretty much. Mm-hmm. They had storyboards, but that didn't translate to how it would end up looking. And even right. then, they didn't really have a name until much later into the process. Like, it seemed like they were more worried about creating a story than creating the monster. In in a lot of ways. And at least for Honda, the film was more than just the monster. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is partially what makes 54 stand out among the others. Um, look at King Kong versus Godzilla. It's a brilliant satire. And I think that's an example of a movie where the kaiju don't look the best. But it has a really intelligent script. And mm-hmm. that's where King Kong versus Godzilla wins is, is a very intelligent script for what it is. So, you know, I I think that this just goes to show that for a lot of of these companies, kaiju are just a way to get to a market, which is, I mean, their company. So that that's what it would be for. But I, I, I think it's really interesting that. The tropes also follow with original kaiju ideas. Like the kaiju themselves. Subaraya is the premier production company for kaiju, I would I would argue. And they come up with an original kaiju every week. And granted uh, from not, from uh, New Gen. New Gen it gets a little rocky, but Thankfully, thankfully Blazer is starting to balance that out. Mm-hmm. Uh but historically speaking, I think Subaraya has done a, a a great job at, at developing original kaiju. Even if they are bizarre and crazy and outlandish. Mm-hmm. I don't know, just some food for thought. Well, I feel like I've I've went on enough as as a wannabe <laughs> kaiju historian. So if you're ready, Rex, I'm ready to go ahead and wrap things up here with, with the plugs and Alrighty. Well, dear listeners, if you want to find me, you can find me on YouTube at Rexino, on Twitter at Rex underscore Zeno, and on Instagram, Rex underscore Zeno. And if you want to check out some of my writing, go take a look at the Tokusatsu Network. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter at ET13Productions, on Instagram at ET13Productions, or on YouTube at ET13 Productions. If you want to watch the short film that I brought up, stay tuned for the first week of August. It'll probably drop on Wednesday. We like releasing stuff on Wednesdays. So I will probably... I mean, it's the Thursday for me. Oh, that's <laughs> true. Um, but I will be dropping it probably Wednesday, the first week of August. So everybody else who didn't go to G-Fest can enjoy watching my film, SOS Seek Shelter. But as for the podcast, you know, this is a podcast. So we we got some links. We we got some links, let me tell you. So don't forget to rate us on iTunes. That boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. We're still sitting at a 3.1. I feel like for the amount of kaiju we've covered lately, I feel like I feel like there should be another five star in there. Wink, mm-hmm. wink, nudge, nudge. If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I 
don't. Actually, kind of, that's definitely a lie. I use a MacBook to do this podcast. Mm, you can rate us on Spotify, though. But on Spotify, we are sitting at a solid five stars. So thank you to everybody who has rated us. And uh, since the last recording, we gained one. So we are now sitting at five five stars. So thank you guys so much. And uh, keep it coming. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, follow us on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you. You can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we'll have original artwork. But until then, you can support our awesome logo on a t-shirt or maybe even a coffee mug. If you'd like to chat with us, check out our Discord server, full of others that have similar interests to you. Recently, there was a conversation about... Let's see here. The new Jet Jaguar suit and the Godzilla Zero Countdown page. We are... Getting real close. As of this oh. recording, it'll be out, so we'll have everything to talk about. <laughs> it's a great community full of great people. Definitely check it out. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video. We sometimes post exclusive to the channel, like bloopers for episodes or minisodes, talking about news or other subjects. We also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Kujaveski on the channel. I probably butchered his name, and I, I apologize. And a huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and all the other content we upload. His links can be found in the description below. Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout-out to Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website godzillanovelizationproject.com. And a huge thanks to Grattan Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at GiantMonsterBS or on any podcast platform under the name GiantMonsterBS. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here. So thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set. We are in debt. There's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. So Rex now, baby. We love those kaiju, baby. And you will too now.